It's going to be fun. You guys go ahead and open up your Bibles there to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Let's start right there. Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13. Hallelujah. How many of you are ready to get some revelation tonight? Yes. Matthew 13, we'll start in verse 11. It says, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath has, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away even that that he has. You guys remember that verse from last week? And so, um, that verse just kind of been chasing me all week after I read it last week. I've just been thinking about it and, um, and the, really the whole message from last week. I uh, just kind of got fired up about it. It was really good. Not because of me, but just the anointing and uh, what we're learning. It was really good. And so, I want to know more. How many of you want to know more? I want some more. Say, I want some more. I want some more. All right, well, let's break this verse down real quick, just so we know what we're saying. It says, because it is given unto you. Now, who is the you? Believers, right? Because it is given unto you, that's believers, to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Now, what are the mysteries of the kingdom we talked about? The Bible calls them secret things or the things that are hidden for us. Remember, not hidden from us. Things of God, things of the kingdom, the operations of the kingdom that are hidden for us. All right? And then it says, but to them, when it says but, it's being the opposite of what he just said. So to believers, it's given to them. But to them, unbelievers, it is not given. Right? For whosoever has... And we said, has what? Last week we realized what has is. For whosoever has what? Kaylee, you had it. Revelation knowledge of the kingdom. So whosoever has revelation knowledge of the kingdom, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. And I love that because it reflects back to, and Jesus came to give us life, And life more abundant. I like the life part, but I sure like the abundant life part, right? Right? And so whoever receives the revelation knowledge of the kingdom, it is given to them more abundance. Then it says, but whosoever has not the revelation of the kingdom shall be taken away from even that that he has. So if he got anything along the way, It just withers up, right? If you ever heard anything about the kingdom, it just poof, because he's an unbeliever. It's, it's, It's foreign to that person, right? And so we can see just from that one passage, just that one verse right there as believers that we've been given this super special opportunity I'm going to add that word. We have special privilege. This verse says that as believers, we have a special privilege. 
But it's not just an automatic special privilege. It's an opportunity for a special privilege to know these secrets and these mysteries of the kingdom, right? It's not just automatic, though. It's not quite that simple. You know, I'm a believer. Now I understand everything. It doesn't quite work that way, right? Right? And so let's just do a real quick review. What is the kingdom that we're talking about here? What is the kingdom? From the very beginning, how did we define that? It's the governing realm in which a king rules and reigns, right? With power and authority. So a kingdom is the govern the government and the governing realm in which a king rules or reigns and he rules and reigns with power and authority. That's that's a kingdom in the general sense, right? And so we know that Jesus came to this earth to reestablish his kingdom, right? When I say reestablish reestablish his kingdom, when was the kingdom of God first established on this earth? In the Garden of Eden. He established the kingdom in the Garden of Eden from the very beginning. And it was never supposed to be where it is today. It wasn't created to be in this, in this place, in this position today. And yet here we are, right? But it was created then... It didn't ever go away. Jesus just had to come and say, <clears throat> remember that kingdom? We're going to reestablish that now here, okay? We're going we're to do a, a, a reboot, right? And so that's why Jesus came to, to reestablish this kingdom and put back what Adam gave away, to, to reclaim what Adam lost, amen? And to defeat the ruling kingdom that's on this earth right now, which is a kingdom of darkness, right? You're in a kingdom. I don't care who you are. If you're on this earth, you're living in some kingdom, one or the other, right? So Jesus came to reestablish his kingdom. For who? For all who would believe. That's correct. For all who would believe that he came to do it, right? As a matter of fact, I just want to turn. Mark chapter 9. Y'all flip over to Mark chapter 9. I'm going to show y'all something cool. We're going to have fun tonight. Let's just have a little fun. <laughs> Mark chapter 9. Let me get there. Chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1. Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Now, Jesus is talking to the disciples here, and he's, he's telling them that I'm going to die, and I'm going to be resurrected. He's talking to them about what's going to happen to him. And in chapter 9, verse 1, he says this, And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Now, stop right there just a minute. Jesus just gave a prophecy right there. That's a prophecy. He said, I'm going to tell you something, guys. You all are, he says, some of you are not going to taste death before you see the kingdom come with power. That's what he says. That's a prophecy because it hadn't happened just yet. 
had it. So he's saying, it's coming. And then in verse 2 it says, after six days. So some people skip that part. They don't see that verse 1 says that, and then he waited six days. And then Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Now that's bright. Some translations say his clothes were glistening. That Actually, there's no words to describe how another, uh, I think it's in Luke, it says they were like the flash of lightning. His clothes were like a flash of lightning. They were so bright. In verse 4 it says, And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Now don't you think Peter, James, and John were kind of freaked out? They freaked out for a minute. And Peter said to Jesus, verse 5, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. I think it's very interesting that Peter knew who Moses and Elijah were. Like he was just looking out there and he recognized them. He knew who they were. And so it says he wanted to put a shelter up. And verse 6 says he didn't know what to say because he was so frightened. Some other, the, I think Luke, it says he, he was just clueless. He didn't know what he was saying. And then verse 7, Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. And it was God's voice. And he said, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Now God was talking to Peter, James, and John. He said, this is my son, and I love him. Listen to him. And Matthew's um, version of this story says, Peter, James, and John fell face down. They fell flat down on their face when God spoke these words. Right? And so, what I want you to see right there is, in those verses, in the transfiguration right there, when the power of God enveloped and was was, you know, when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was baptized in water, and when he came up, he was infilled with the Holy Spirit. But then in this moment, he was transfigured. The power of God came on him in a way that anointed him as king. Right? King. This is where the kingdom of God was reestablished, right here in this transfiguration. It was initiated in Jesus right there with the appearing of Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah? Why Moses and Elijah? Moses represented the law, and Elijah represented the prophets. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And in this establishment with power, he, he began the fulfillment of the law and the prophets with Moses and Elijah right there. Isn't that good? That's good. And so it was, it was the initiation of the kingdom with power right there in the transfiguration. Later, the 
inauguration of Jesus happened when he died and he rose again and he ascended. That's when his, his kingship was established in the heavenly realm and on this earth. Amen? And then it was extended to all of us when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. So there's three times power came. Power, 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 power. Power came to Jesus in the transfiguration. Power came to him again for us when he was raised and ascended. And then power came onto us when the Holy Spirit came and we received that power. Y'all got it? And so there is a final step that's coming. So this kingdom establishment's not finished. It's been started, but it's not finished manifesting. You can clearly see in the world that the kingdom of heaven is not being experienced by everyone on this earth. Right? It, it, it's just not happening yet. There's a lot of darkness still reigning and ruling in the earth. Right? And it's still here in operation. But one day... The kingdom of God will be manifest in this earth. Right? When Jesus comes back and finishes up the job that he started. Amen? But for now, this kingdom of God is in operation how? In me and through me. In you and through you. That's how the kingdom operates right now. Amen? And so Jesus is, when he was here... His teachings and his trainings were like a government economics class for us. That's what he came here to do. Teach us the government and economics of the kingdom through his teachings. And then right toward the end he said, there you go. Now you know, now you go do it. That's what he said. He said, I taught you, you've been to class, now you go do it. And this life that we are living, this life that we've been given to live on this earth, is our boot camp for eternity. We are in boot camp. We're in training for eternity. You know, our life is important, but it is not near as important naturally as we think it is. If we would look at it from a different viewpoint and say, this is my training camp. For eternity, you'd look at it a different way. Amen? And so we're supposed to be using this time that we have on this earth to learn how to become overcomers. And the book of Revelation talks about the overcomers. And I want to be one of them. Amen? And, you know, the demons that are here right now, they are like our little practice dummies. They're, they're little practice dummies for us. If you want to look at it that way, we're in, we're in training, and there are little, uh, you know, practice targets, right? And so we're supposed to be learning to reign and to rule in this life so that we can reign and rule in the forever life. Amen? That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We're in, we're in practice training for forever. Hallelujah. And so we learned last week that Jesus gave us the instructions for how the kingdom operates through his parables. 
The parables that he told are the code language to the operations of the kingdom. Is this all making more sense now? Have you got some new, like, insight into your life and why you're here? Amen? So, I'm going to go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, if y'all are already there, I think. I was going to go to Mark, but let's go to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read this in the Passion. (coughs) I wrote it down here in the Passion. I just like the way it sounds. Matthew 13, we'll start in verse 3. It says, He taught them many things by using stories, parables to illustrate spiritual truths, by saying, consider this. There was a farmer. Okay, now he's, he's telling a parable. So he says, there was this farmer. Now who's the farmer? God, Jesus, or really whoever is sharing the word is the farmer. There was a farmer who went out to sow some seeds. Now, what's the seeds? The Word. Revelation knowledge of the Word, to be exact. So, the farmer went out to sow some seeds, and he cast his seeds, and some fell along the beaten path, and the birds came and ate them. And others fell under gravel that had no topsoil, and they quickly shot up, but when the days grew hot, they were scorched and withered because they had insufficient roots. And others fell among the thorns, so when they sprouted, the thorns choked them. Verse 8. But other seeds fell on good, rich soil that kept producing a good harvest, and some yielded 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as he planted. And if you're able to understand this, then you need to respond. Or, in other words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right? Then verse 10 says, And then the disciples approached Jesus and asked, Why do you always speak to people in these hard-to-understand parables? Now here's the part I want you to catch right here. Verse 11. (coughs) He said, (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 11, he explained, You, now who is you? Believers. You have been given the intimate experience of insight into the hidden mysteries of the realm of heaven's kingdom, But they, unbelievers, have not. For everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation until he has more than enough. But those who don't listen with an open, teachable heart, even the understanding that they think they have will be taken from them. That's why I teach the people using parables, because they are, because they think that they are looking for truth, and yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover it. Although they will listen to me, they will never perceive the message that I speak. And then Jesus goes on after that to explain to the disciples the meaning of that parable, right? In the rest of that chapter. Now I want us to look real close at verse 13, what it says again. It says, that's why I teach the people using parables, because they think that they are looking for truth, yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover it. Although they listen to me, they never fully perceive the message I speak. I think the King James says, hearing they don't hear, seeing they don't see, perceiving they don't perceive, or something like that. Okay? But this this translation says, 
because their hearts are unteachable. And tonight I want us to check our hearts. This is where we are tonight. I want us to check our hearts. And I'll be honest with you. I, I think most people have a misconception of what having a hardened heart means. What it means to have a hardened heart. What do you think of when you hear the word, the term hardened heart? Stubborn. Cold hearted. Somebody rebellious. Somebody, yeah, they don't respond. They're, they're just, you know, swinging through life however they want to and doing whatever they want. And they don't care who it hurts and how it gets done. And that's a hard-hearted person, right? That's what we think of. And I've heard this term, hard heart, all my life. You read scriptures where it says hard heart and you just read right past it. I'll be honest, I, I read right past it where it says, and his, heart's, his heart was hardened, you know. And uh, I never really thought a whole lot about it until just recent months when I've kind of noticed it. And um, I began to study it a little more, and, and uh, I began to realize that the term hard heart is not exactly what we think it is in the Scripture, in the Bible. And uh, I also, even with this study, I began to see how closely related a hard heart is to the success or the failure in the kingdom of God. Having a hard heart. And so, you know, like we named all those things that we think a hard heart is, that's, I mean, that's what I thought a hard, a person with a hard heart. You know, you good for nothing, hard-hearted, cold-hearted, you know, rebellious, run over people, do what you want to, hard-hearted person, right? But did you ever consider that you might have a hard heart? I mean, if somebody asked me that, I'd be like, no, what? No. Me? No. So, let's just take a look. Mark 6. Turn over to Mark 6. Mark 6. <coughs> Mark 6. We'll start in uh, verse 47. And, you know, Jesus and, Jesus and the disciples here, they just finished feeding 5,000 people right before this. They fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Y'all all know that story, right? The disciples just did this. They just saw it. They just saw it. They just witnessed it. Like they got finished, they gathered up all the extra baskets and, and Jesus said, now y'all go on and get on the boat and I'll be with you shortly. They just finished doing this. And Jesus sent them out on the boat, and he said, I'm going to go pray for a little bit. Y'all go ahead. Now, first of all, before we read it, I don't know how they thought he was going to catch up with them because they're out in a boat. So I don't really know what they were thinking, but let's read it. We'll start um, Mark 6, verse 47. Let's start 47. It says, When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone, Jesus was alone on the land. 
And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So a storm blew up while they're out there. And at about the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. And he was about to pass by them. But when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then in Matthew's version of this, that's when Peter got out of the boat and walked to him. And you know the whole Peter walking on the water. Um, Mark doesn't have that part in it, but that's where it was. Peter walked on the water. and then, But after that, it says in verse 51, Then he climbed into the boat with them. And the wind died down. And they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Now, what we just talked about? The loaves. All the bread that he just multiplied for 5,000 people. And so it says, For they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. You see that? They didn't understand about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. And so, Jesus says right here, their hearts were hardened. Now, these were Jesus' disciples. They were not some rebellious, cold-hearted, what we just described, were they? They were His guys. Like His faithful ones. And yet, Jesus said, they have hardened hearts. They have hardened hearts. Why? Why would he say they have hardened? Why are they hard-hearted? The word hardened, right there, it means calloused, unyielding, insensitive to something. That's what it means right there. Insensitive to something. And so, Jesus' very own disciples had become so sensitive to the natural world around them and the limitations that were there that they knew, they knew by natural law nobody can walk on the water. That's defying natural law. They'd become so sensitive to natural law, natural world, that they, it says they were completely amazed to see Jesus do something beyond the laws of nature. Completely amazed. And they were therefore insensitive to the kingdom and the operations of the kingdom. They were so sensitive to the natural world that they couldn't see the kingdom world working right in front of their eyes. They had just witnessed the bread, like five loaves of bread turning into enough to feed. I mean, it's not like they it was the first thing they ever saw. They had already seen a bunch of stuff. And yet, duh, Jesus, how else did they think Jesus was going to get over there? I mean, it should have been, you know, like, Kind of on their mind, hey, I bet Jesus is going to walk up here on this water and get in this boat. But no, they were completely amazed because they were dominated by natural thinking. 
right? And the Bible calls that having a hardened heart. Isn't that something? How many of us have ever doubted something that the Scripture says? All of us. Well, that can't really happen. That can't, I can't just, I just can't wrap my mind around that. I can't wrap my mind around healing. I can't wrap my mind around that kind of provision. I can't wrap my mind around that kind of forgiveness. That's called having a hardened heart. Right? Eek. And so the reality of it all here is this. Is these guys and us, when we're that way, had become so sensitive to fear and doubt, which comes from where? You're thinking. They'd become so sensitive to fear and doubt that they couldn't see the kingdom of God working right in front of them. They couldn't fathom because they were too focused on fear and doubt. Pastor Allen has been talking about fear and doubt. Matter of fact, he talks about it a lot because it's a big problem. If the disciples right in front of Jesus were so influenced by fear and doubt, which is a hardened heart, how... You know, how likely is it for us to be driven by fear and doubt? Amen. I think sometimes, what if we turn the table on Satan and his tricks, and we, come, we, we just get so hard-hearted against fear and doubt that the only thing that we can comprehend is the kingdom of God? Wouldn't that be cool? That's where we need to get to. And that's what, you know, that's kind of what, where I'm going tonight. That's kind of where we're going tonight. Because we can't go any farther with this kingdom, this idea of learning about the kingdom, studying about the kingdom. We can't go any farther if we're holding on to a hardened heart, which means fear and doubt, which means I can't 100% trust what the Bible says. And don't think that's not you. Because you might be saying, I don't have a hardened heart. That's not me. No, I love Jesus. And I think the whole Bible is true. And I do anything that the Bible says to do. Would you? Do you? Do we actually do everything that the Scripture says that we can do? That is available to us. Do we really? Right? And so, I, want, I just want to look at another. Y'all turn over to Mark 8. Let's look at something else. Mark chapter 8, starting verse 14. I'm so glad Jesus came and had those disciples. I'm glad they were the disciples because they were the guinea pigs. Mark chapter 8, verse 14, it says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread. Now this is important. They had forgotten to bring bread. They went and they got on a boat. They're going somewhere and... And they look down, did you get the bread? No, man, did you get the bread? Uh uh-uh, uh, I didn't get the bread. Well, who got the bread? I don't get I guess we all forgot the bread. They forgot the bread. Right? So they had forgotten to bring bread. And they only had one little loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware. Now this is Jesus talking to them. Here they are, I forgot the bread. No, we you you got the bread, right? No, I got the bread. And then Jesus says, Hey, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, or some translations say the yeast. 
Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And that was all he said. They're over here talking about the bread. And then Jesus says, hey, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And then he just got quiet. You know, he doesn't say anything more than what the Father tells him to say. That's all he had to say in that moment. And so verse 16 says, And they, they got to discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus was aware of this. Now they're still talking about the bread. They're still talking about the bread. And Jesus says to them in verse 17, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they went, 12. And then the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, uh, seven. And he's spanking them right here now. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Right? And so Jesus is again pointing out to the disciples their hard hearts. And it was because they had no understanding of spiritual things. Their hardened hearts were because they had zero understanding of spiritual things. Jesus is talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and they're thinking about the bread that they forgot to bring to make their sandwiches. They're not hearing what he was saying. And so, this verse kind of gives us some characteristics of a person that has a hard heart. First, a hard heart keeps you from perceiving spiritual truths. You don't even see it. And that's why we have a church service and Pastor Allen speaks a message and everybody in the room hears exactly the same thing they get the opportunity to hear the same word and some receive it and some don't and you know if pastor allen told a story during his message like he likes to tell stories but he's not just up here telling a story but some people will come to the door and say pastor allen that was a funny story that was a good one hee-haw and he wasn't telling the story to be funny. He had a spiritual connection to the story he was telling, but they went, Phew. they didn't even hear it. They heard the funny part. That was a funny story, but they, the, the spiritual connection, they didn't even perceive that there was a spiritual connection to what he was telling. Amen? And so a person with a hardened heart cannot even perceive spiritual connections spiritual things they're clueless to spiritual anything the second thing the second characteristic is a a person with a hard heart can't understand spiritual truths not only perceive they can't understand it so you know in in first corinthians i wrote two fourteen. it says a natural person does not accept things of the spirit of god for they are folly to him and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned amen and so when, it, when we don't understand God's Word, then Satan doesn't have any resistance to us and can just steal it away. There's no resistance. If we don't understand what we're reading, 
then Satan, it's like that uh, hard path that we've talked about. The seeds are scattered there and the birds just come and eat it up. Right? And so, how many of you ever read something in the Scriptures and you read it and you know English, you can read, and the words went in and you know it had some kind of spiritual meaning. You perceived that this is something spiritual, but I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I mean, do you supposed to just chalk that up to, well, that's just too deep for me, and, you know, when I get smarter, I'll understand it better. Is that what you're supposed to do when you don't understand something in the Scripture? Well, I'll just, I'll just put that aside for 20 years. Maybe I'll get smarter, and, or maybe somebody will explain it to me. Don't you know you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you? He's your teacher. When you don't understand something, you ask Him to reveal it to you. Right? And then that understanding will come. That's how you keep a softened heart. You've got to be hungry. A hungry heart is a soft heart. Right? Amen. And then the third thing, a hard heart keeps us from remembering keeps us from perceiving, keeps us from understanding, and keeps us from remembering. Now, I'm not saying that you can't remember the Scripture. You don't lose your memory. You don't read something and lose your memory. You know, five minutes later, you can't even remember what you read. I'm not saying that. Because even the disciples, they remembered all the part about the 5,000 and the fish and the loaves. They, they were even talking about, about, about the loaves and the bread. They didn't forget but they had forgotten the spiritual lesson that they had learned. Right? There was no remembrance there. And, you know, a lot of people can quote scriptures by memory. By memory. They can tell you what Pastor Allen's message was about. But they hadn't any perception about the spiritual part. They had no understanding of the spiritual part. And so that part of it they never got. So they're not going to remember that when something in their life comes along and it, you know, equates to what that teaching was about. They're not even going to remember that because they have a hardened heart. Right? I want to show you something real interesting. That same passage we just read, if you read it in Matthew, when the disciples forgot to bring the bread, if you read that same story in Matthew and... Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And uh, I think it's in 16, Matthew 16, I think. And it says, I mean, and they were trying to figure out, you know, like, what's he talking about? I don't know what he means about the yeast and the Pharisees and all that. And Mark and Luke both record in there that says, he told them, are your hearts hardened? But Matthew says this, O ye of little faith. In the same phrase where Mark and Luke say, O ye hardened hearts. O you hard-hearted men. Matthew says, O you of little faith. Y'all heard that before, right? O you of little faith. And so, Scripture correlates a hardened heart to little faith. Matter of fact, they're the same thing. Having a hard heart is the same thing as having 
little faith. Little faith. And all those times that you heard Jesus in the, you know, in the Gospels when he would be teaching, he was teaching and he was training the, the disciples and he was showing them things. And then their hearts were hardened and they didn't quite get it. But, you know, he sent them out to practice. And, you know, many times he says, oh, you of little faith. He could have easily said, oh, you hard-hearted men. They're interchangeable. You know, when the, when the man brought his demon-possessed son, and Jesus was up on the mountain, and he brought him to the disciples, and they couldn't cast the demon out. And then Jesus came back, and he said, oh, you of little faith, how long am I going to be here with you? He said that to them. When they freaked out in the boat, you know, Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat, and they freaked out. Wake up, Jesus. Don't you care we're going to die? And he woke up, rubbed his eyes and said, Oh, you of little faith. He said, You of little faith. Right? He used it over. He really meant you hard-hearted people, you. And even when Peter was walking on the water in that same story, and he started to sink, and Jesus wasn't going to let him sink, he pulled him back up and he said, Oh, you of little faith. Right? Hard-heartedness is, a, is the same as having little faith. Little faith is just not believing the Bible. What it says you can do, you can do. What it says you have, you have. That's little faith. Right? The bottom line is when we can't believe and act on God's Word, we're hard-hearted. Let me say it again. When we don't believe and act on God's Word, we are hard-hearted. We have little faith. Right? Hebrews 3.12 kind of relates an evil heart of unbelief to being hard-hearted. It says this, it says, so search your hearts every day. This is Hebrews 3, verse 12. So search your hearts every day, my brother and sisters, and make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding within you, for it will lead you astray and make you unresponsive to the living God. This is the time to encourage each other to never be stubborn or hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I don't want to have little faith. I don't want to have a hard heart. Do you? Mm-mm. There's many times, though, on the contrary to that, that Jesus said, Oh, you of great faith. He said to many people, Oh, you of great faith. And it was always in connection with somebody that heard and acted and received exactly what the Word said that they could. When you see the words, oh, you of great faith, you see that connected to whoever he's talking to did something that was exactly in line with what the word said that they could do. Right? And so, what does any of that have to do with the kingdom? The kingdom that we've been talking about. Why can't we go any farther until we talk about this hardened heart issue? Because 
if we're going to be effective in the kingdom, if we're going to do kingdom work, if we're going to perceive and understand and remember what the Word says, we've got to get the hard-heartedness out so that we can do. Okay? We've got to perceive, understand, and remember what the Word says so that we can do what the Word says that we can do. Okay? So the kingdom and all the operations of the kingdom not going to work just because the Bible says, here's the operations. They're not going to work unless we get them in our heart and we absolutely with 100 convinced in our spirit that we perceive, we understand it, we remember it so that we can go do it exactly like the Bible says. Everything that the kingdom says, that the kingdom operations manual says that we can do. Right? And so, remember that soil from the verses that we were talking about last week? The, the, the hard soil and then the rocky when they were throwing the seeds and the, and the thorny place and then the good soil. Hardened hearts, a hardened heart will keep you on the hard dirt, on the rocky dirt, and on the thorny dirt. Hardened hearts will keep you over there where we talked about, in that place. Right? That's where, you, that's where you're going to live. That's where you're going to stay. And we, we'll never get to the place where the, the good soil, where the Word can come alive until we get rid of a hard heart. Until we get rid of that lack of faith, that unbelievingness, that doubt. That's what it is, just fear and doubt and unbelief. Little faith. It's all connected. It all makes sense. And so, I, you know, I just want us to recognize what kind of soil we have in our hearts. If we're going to talk about the parables, we need to know what kind of soil is in our hearts so we can receive them. Because, you know, you know, we can stand up here and tell what the parables are about and it'd just be like Pastor Allen just telling a good story. Just telling a real good story and that, oh, that's cute. That's real cute. No, we want to be good soil so that we can put to work what we learn. We can put into action what we learn. Amen? Hallelujah. I want to be so connected in my heart to the Word of God that when natural things happen, like the wind, like Natalie and I were watching this morning, um, Keith Moore was on, t on the, he does his little teaching thing, he was talking about, you know, being trained this way. I want to watch the rest of that tomorrow, Natalie. But, you know, just being aware of the natural, so aware of it that you respond to it from the Word. That, that he's, he was talking about when Jesus went over to Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. Remember that story? Peter, he went to Peter's house and Peter's, uh, well, Simon Peter, his mother-in-law had a fever. She was sick. 
And he went in to minister to her. And he spoke to the fever. He didn't pray. Oh God, please do something about this woman's sickness. He didn't talk to her. Now lady, if you'll just take two Tylenol and... He didn't talk to her about it. He spoke to the fever. Now, a fever is a natural thing, right? Just like the wind and the waves. Just like, you know, the ocean. And how Jesus shouldn't be able to walk on the ocean, but he did. Or the the water, but he did. Well, Jesus shouldn't be able to talk to a fever. But he did. He talked to a fever and it responded to him. A fever has ears, apparently. Right? We're supposed to look at this natural world and do what the kingdom says we can do in this natural world. And Jesus didn't just come here to show out how great it was that he could walk on the water. He was showing us His authority over the natural world. That the kingdom of God has supernatural ability that supersedes the natural world. We shouldn't be able to talk to a fever, but we can. Right? I think it was necessary. If it was necessary, I could walk on the water. Now, we don't tempt God and say, hey, let's go out here and let's just see if Jesus is telling the truth and I'm just going to walk on this water. You don't, you don't tempt God that way. That's, that's tempting God. But if it's necessary for, for the kingdom of God to advance and God's called you to do something, there is nothing on this earth that you can't do. Right? Amen? Anyway, so... I want to be perceiving, understanding, and remembering. 